Welcome to Inspired Insights, where we share our conversations with industry experts as we give insight into workforce trends and changes impacting HR and financial professionals. We will cover everything from employee engagement to compliance and regulations impacting your workforce success. Welcome to the Inspired Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gorman. I'm a sales and marketing professional with over 20 years working in leading sales teams in the human capital management industry. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff McEwen. Good morning, Brian. Thank you very much. Great to be back again with you. Yeah, my name is Jeff and I've been in human resource management since 99, which always just seems farther and farther away in time. But uh, yeah, in that time, I've had a chance to work in a number of different industries and uh, different size organizations and Pleased to be on here with you again today, Brian. It's been a while since we recorded one, so it's been great to get back. And I suppose almost in the long gap between recording, it's almost like the anticipation for a higher quality guest uh, has (laughs) has grown. And so we have have been very, very blessed to meet that challenge with today's guest. So uh, I know, Brian, you've not met him before, but uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting him at some Association for Talent Development events, and I've heard him speak at a number of different uh, platforms, both live and online. And so it is my uh, honor, really, truly, as Sardik, it's my honor to introduce you today to our audience and make sure that people get a chance to hear from you, and then and we'll talk about where they can get more information from you. But our guest today is Sardik Love, and he is one of the world's leading authorities on helping leaders develop specific habits that maximize employee engagement and create high-performing teams. You know, Brian, we may have to rename this as something engagement rather than inspiring. We've yeah. had a lot of great guests on engagement, but really today we're going to hear from kind of the top of the of the stack there. So he is the CEO of Sardik Love International, co-author of two books, and the brains behind the Ask a Master Facilitator weekly video blog series. In 2018, he was cited as one of the top 25 global thought leaders in talent development by the Association for Talent Development. Please welcome Sardik Love. Gentlemen, it's my honor and pleasure to be with you. Mm-hmm. To be part of this podcast is hugely impressive, oh. and I am thrilled to be with you. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, glad we could make time for all of us to, to get Absolutely. together. You're obviously very busy. We're going to talk a lot about the book and being out there pushing the book now. And you were just sharing with us a minute ago a great story about the early success you're already having with it out there. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was just going to say, it's just been a blessing it's, you know, to have the second book come out, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But yeah, it's it's gangbusters right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, really fun. That's awesome. awesome. Great stuff. Well, as far as kind of getting started with, with some questions here, Sardik, we wanted to kind of maybe cover, you know, what, what is drive and how did you discover the five habits of, of high-performing leaders? Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Brian. So the drive model is a model that I came up with And I've traveled up to this point to 32 different countries working with leaders. And, you know, over the course of time, where this actually got started was my work with Chevron. And I was doing leadership training for them. This is going back to, I think it was around about 2007-ish. And I was a subcontractor to a prime and they had won the contract to do leadership training for oil and gas uh, for, for the particular group inside of Chevron that was the the um, drilling and completions units. So the folks that actually go out on the rigs and, and 
work with the rig contractors to do the drilling. And they wanted to find out what's going on with their leadership out. You know, so I went to, I think it was over 15 countries just for Chevron alone. One of the things that they asked us to do, and, and I had this insight to start tracking it because I'm a performance consultant. They wanted to know if there were performance gaps in terms of leadership and what leaders were saying and what they were experiencing out in the field. So I started tracking this. And I started using experiential activities to put them into challenging situations where leaders had to solve problems. And what I started to realize very quickly, and then I saw this trend, I looked for you know trends and themes, I started noticing that no one was asking any questions. What would happen is leaders would jump into when they have a problem, here's a question I would ask. When people encounter a problem, what's their first reaction? Is it a statement or is it a question? And invariably, like 90% of the time, it was never a question. It was always a statement. We should do this. You should do this. They went into tell mode. And if you know anything about leadership, the one thing you can't do if you want to get to a solution fast is to tell people how to do it. It just doesn't work. That's not how innovation works. And so I started to realize that I was onto something and seeing this telling structural approach and habit. And when I then started to try to figure out what is it that they need to be doing differently, that's how I came up with the DRIVE model, which DRIVE stands for, it's an acronym. The D is demonstrate curiosity. The R is respect differences. The I is influence others. The V is visualize the future. And the E is execute with precision. Because ultimately what I did was I worked backwards. I found out what the five habits were, and then they mapped right back into, are they curious? Are they showing respect and getting information from people and respecting differences? Are they influential? Are they able to articulate a better future? Because that's what causes people to take action. And then ultimately, as a leader, what are you doing to equip your people to peak performance? So that's how Drive came up over 32 uh, countries, thousands of leaders in training development and development professionals. And I finally settled in on this about five years ago, and here we are. <laughs> hmm. So one of the things that struck me in this current culture of diversity, inclusion, you know, equity, all that kind of the, the can't remember all the letters now. <laughs> it seems like we keep adding more letters, DEI, whatever. Yeah. But you mentioned 32 countries. So I'm going to imagine we're talking about a lot of different cultural differences. Did you find that leadership challenges the lack of, of drive? or leadership demands were kind of a universal or do you, did you find there were different cultures that that had different challenges with leadership i'm just i've never you know we've never really gone into the international component we've talked about dei before just within the us but what did you find internationally about leadership yeah that jeff was the the perhaps the real substantial mindset transformation for me cuz coming out of the us you know we we have a certain mindset that we we tend to be, and are, and well-deserved, tend to be recognized as the leaders in many respects mm -hmm. in the business world. So I went over to other countries and initially was thinking that, you know, there's going to be some unique differences, and certainly there are culturally. Don't I don't want to be dismissive of that. But at the end of the day, people are people. And what I started to realize, and where this became really paramount for me is, I did a lot of work in some, you know, so I was doing a lot of work with oil and gas companies and heavy industry you know, early on when I started my business. And that took me to places like deep into the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, a very conservative Middle Eastern country. I went into uh, very poor countries, some of the poorest in the world, like Liberia, you know, West African countries like Angola and mm. Nigeria, a little bit better off, but 
you know, nonetheless. And so when I looked at that experience and then compared it to where I was going over into Europe with the UK, France, and all throughout Europe, then coming down into deeply into Southeast Asia, what I found was everything was the same. People mm. wanted to be recognized, <laughs> appreciated. Of course, you had those cultural differences, but at the end of the day, it came back to, do I have a say? And this is where Gallup has been brilliant. Mm. Their Q12 is brilliant. And going all the way back to Marcus Buckingham launching that when he was at Gallup, I think when he wrote the first Break All the Rules and published it in 1999. You can kind of tell where I began my performance consulting, <laughs> starting with that book and, and started following that. And yeah, so it's been really interesting to see that there's some fundamental habits that are fundamental to human behavior. Then you throw in the uniqueness of the cultural differences, of course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, one thing that's also been true, the more thought leaders we've been able to talk to and the more people I read and listen to and stuff that, you know, there's so much that that everybody has identified that there's some commonality, right? And then everybody kind of finds the nuance that makes their book a little better, a little different, whatever that, and, uh, you know, listening to you talk about this and, and some of the things that I've heard you talk about before, it uh, takes me back to Covey and the, uh, one of the habits is to, first seek to understand, then to be understood. And so when I hear you talk about tell mode, uh, you know, I think about that. And you like you said, the lack of asking questions and, and where that leads. But my own background coming out of the military, uh, you know, I'm very familiar with situations where uh, you were saying how tell mode kind of squashes innovation. And so, you know, in the, and you get into a really difficult situation in, say, a military setting, Innovation isn't really what you're looking for. <laughs> so so right. tell mode is fine in that case, right? But most of us are not in combat. Most of us are are in real life or outside life, civilian life. And, and innovation is kind of at the heart of progress and success. And so that tell mode is really key. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, what you just said there, Jeff, actually, I would say, where does that, where does the tell mode switch to ask mode in the military? And my guess is in those after-action reviews. So you all go out and you do your, your military drills, point. right? Yeah. And all yeah. that drilling. And then what the military does really, really well, which is actually better than any other organization, whether it's for public, you know, for profit, you know, whatever, is they go and look and they see not only what went well and why it works, but they also, as you already know, they look and see what didn't work. So they do the after-action reviews. And that's where the action actually takes place in terms of the innovation. So yeah, in combat, mm -hmm. again, that's the uniqueness of combat. You can't <laughs> be innovative when you're trying to survive and win, but then how do you build those, those systems to maintain that winning approach? And that's what's mm -hmm. happening now with the drilling and, and reviews and all that. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. That's a yeah. great point. And, and, you know, just to stick with that for just another second that, you know, I was only an E4, so I was pretty far down the food chain. And I don't remember ever getting the opportunity to share too much of my thoughts. <laughs> the captain didn't usually come down and ask me how I thought it went. But that's one of the things that hopefully our audience are able to do is to, to use employee surveys or to use other methods or tools or maybe even just you know, one-on-ones or whatever to get feedback because you never know where it's going to come from, right? I'm sure you've probably got tons and tons of stories with all the years of you've been doing this in lots of different places that sometimes that innovative idea comes from the guy right on the front line, the guy, the guy putting the rivet in the, in the machine. So something I hope that our audience is certainly taking advantage of are the, the brain power of all those people. Well, and, and to your point, the people who know best, again, coming back to the performance consulting side of what I do, it's not mm -hmm. the leaders mm -hmm. who 
actually generally come up with the innovation. They create the environment for that to happen, but where the innovation actually happens. And, and I, the first person I want to talk to when I go in as a consultant is, mm. I don't want to talk to the leaders. They don't do the job every day. Mm. I want to talk to mm. the people who are on the front lines, who are dealing with the challenges, what are the barriers? Because the manager and the leader, they're not, that's not their job to know what's happening at that level. Their job is to remove those barriers. Mm. And in many cases, here's the challenge. The leaders and some of these old school leaders haven't figured out. And that's why you got quiet quitting, just exploding in terms of popularity. But the reality is that's not new. It was called mm. something different 10 years ago. It was just called road warriors, meaning road was an acronym for people who are retired on active duty. So they were, you know, <laughs> so it's no different. It's just, it just took off on yeah. TikTok. But nonetheless, uh. um, so you, you want to get those lead, the leaders who are smart and the ones who are innovative and win are the ones who ask questions and then drive the mm. boat or the ship or whatever analogy you want to use. And they seek input because mm. you, as John Maxwell always says, my, one of my favorite quotes from him is one is too small a number to achieve success in anything. Mm. And I, I like to say it this way. Success is never a lone wolf journey. It is always in partnership with someone else. Mm. Mm -hmm. the smart leaders figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that rings a bell with another one I've heard, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go with a team. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very fascinating phenomenon. The more you think, you know, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the guy who, who said the quote, as his name is escaping me now, but the quote is, the moment at which you believe you're right is the moment at which you should consider that you might be wrong. And ultimately, that's the trigger point is when you're set in whatever you think is the right idea, counteract it, check it, test it, and, uh, and create a hypothesis mindset. So again, the most effective and high-performing leaders, they create an environment where their teams are willing to go into conflict, healthy conflict, because they're just focusing on hypothesis confirmation and reaffirmation as opposed to being right and right fighting. All right. So that said, what would you say is, is the number one mistake today's leaders are making? Number one mistake that leaders are making today comes back to that one habit. Out of the five habits out of drive that demonstrate curiosity, they are simply not asking questions. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I'm going to take you on a very, very short journey to show you, and you'll come to the same conclusion without having to do the research that I've done for the last 10 years. <laughs> so... In your audience, I would just ask the audience to reflect on these questions. How many of you are, would say you're able to get everything on your plate that you have on your plate, you get able to get everything done? Now, if you say yes, kudos to you. But if you're not able to get everything that you have on your plate done on a daily basis, then one could argue, and let's just say for the sake of argument, that you're time constrained. So if we agree that you're time constrained, Here's now from that basis, if you're time constrained, we've got two types of questions, open questions and closed questions. Now, the more time constrained that a person is or perceives that he or she is, the less likely he or she is to ask a question. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we're following, if the audience is following along with this, the more time constrained, the more likely you're just going to do, you're not going to ask. Right. And then if you do happen to ask a question being time constrained of those two types of questions, open versus closed, which one? And I'll throw this question to both of you. Which one do you think people overwhelmingly and habitually abuse open or closed any questions when they're time constrained? Closed. 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 Yeah. 
And if you overuse closed-ended questions, what does that do to communication? Mm. Kills it down. Shut it down. Shuts yeah. it down. What does that do to innovation? Yeah. Stifles it. Yeah. Stifles it. Yeah. Yeah. What does that do to engagement? Annihilates it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now, would you think that most people in the last two and a half years with the concepts of burnout mm -hmm. and everything that we've experienced because of all the way we've had to change the way we work, do you think people are burnt out, time constrained, blah, blah, blah? <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, sure. so the data yeah. is is pretty obvious, but that's the funny part about all of this. Mm -hmm. Habits are like, you know, a good habit. Time will make a good habit your ally, and time will make your bad habits your enemy. And that's a quote from James mm -hmm. Clear out of Atomic Habits. It is classic, and people don't see these habits. It's like bad uh, chronic diseases. You don't mm -hmm. see the effects of hypertension, blood pressure issues, uh, diabetes, and all that until for a long time. Guess what? That long time for managers and leaders is right now because of a pandemic. Mm. Mm. So not asking questions is absolutely destroying value in major ways. Mm. Wow, I can see that. Sardik, what type of questions mm. have you found to be most impactful? That's an insightful mm. question. And in fact, that is what I get at because not every question is a great question. Right. And there are, you know, and you being in sales, you know that closing the questions don't, I don't want to denigrate those. Closing the questions are fantastic for getting agreement. That's the one place. Sure. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. wouldn't you agree? See? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So when you're yeah. selling something, you want them to buy, wouldn't you agree? So you, oh. those are the perfect places to use closing the questions. Here's the challenge the type of question that works best. You know, people always ask me, well, how do I script questions? In sales, you know, you don't script questions, but I did find in terms of observing when it comes to problem solving, I did uncover the two words that open up questions that are open into questions that absolutely everyone should build a habit of. And I call it my curious ask method, A-S-K method. And mm -hmm. I have to be clear in the pronunciation that when I, it's a play on words. So I want you all to become a curious ask. All right. Here, here are the two words that every question you should ask overwhelmingly should should start with. What and how? That's the habit that I uncovered that leads to accelerates problem solving, accelerates innovation when leaders and people who are into problem solving and leading others, when they overwhelmingly habitually ask what and how questions, what it does is it stops you from doing closed ended questions, which essentially creates a monologue with hostages. And it transforms your questions and your questioning into a dialogue. And when you do that, that's where everything else takes off because now you show that you care, you're interested, engagement shoots up, innovation shoots up. It really does come from what and how. I'll stop by saying this. Here's a problem. As simple as that sound, just like when the other, with any other habit, how easy is it to build a habit? Not very. Mm -hmm. Without practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, you know, I go back to the military and and you said something earlier that I never really thought about. You said how good they do at the after action, right? And that's that's really what you do in the military is you practice. Practice. Right? And you're really just getting ready for that time you have to execute. And I feel like in the civilian world, I've found we don't practice much. We kind of run from one panic moment to another, one seeming emergency or whatever to another. And even if there is a bit of a debrief or an after action, then there's never time built in to do the practice. It's like, exactly. okay, well, next time the emergency happens, here's our new procedure. But we never practice it. 
we never get ready. And so that's, uh, that's yeah, practicing habits and all those things are, are key. Well, I, I yeah. frame it up this way. Yeah. What we do in corporate, to your point there, Jeff, is we just create a repeated series of one-night stands when it comes to transformation. <laughs> we go in, we say, here it is. Mm. Okay, let's go on this date. Let's get it done. Okay, then off we're off to, like you said, to the next fire. That's not how habits work. So now you're starting to realize mm. and your audience may start to realize performance happens in habit formation, mm. not in event proclamation. Oh, glad we recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> that captured. That's not nice. what I was just thinking, too. I think if you look back on some of the leaders, I'm thinking personally here, but the ones that made a big impact on me are the ones that took the time to do like those after action reviews. You know, mm -hmm. and, to, and and maybe just, you know, after you had a, a sales call or a product demo or something, and you're like, how do you think that went? And then took the time to, hey, let's just go pull over and get a cup of coffee or get something to drink and talk about this. Those were so impactful and helped you move along in your career. And, but the leaders that do that, I think are, that made the most impact on me anyway. I think that, and that probably is for everybody else too, just ones yeah. that take the time and slow down a little bit to, to spend the time and do that. And I imagine, Brian, that you and everyone else, when you think about the people that you just talked about or those people who took time to invest in you, mm -hmm. I imagine you got a mental image of them in your head right now. Sure. And I would also bet, I'd be willing to bet money that those were people that if they had left the organization, you would have followed them. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of you did follow those people. That's the difference between an effective, high-performing manager who creates high-performing teams and mm -hmm. the rest of, as they say in Jamaica, the rest of them, right? <laughs> the rest of them. And so I think that's a poignant statement right there is if you want to build teams that are high performing as a manager leader, and if HR wants to support that, the managers and leaders have got to take the time to invest. It sounds counterintuitive. Most people say, I don't have time, mm -hmm. but here's the one thing that you don't have. You don't mm -hmm. have the luxury of not taking the time if you want to be high performing. Right? Mm -hmm. hmm. So what and how, those are the key words, right? What we want to focus on. So the next time I have an issue, I should say, what were you thinking and how do you get out of bed in the morning? Are those the what and the how? <laughs> well, yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. Now, now you have to, look, Jeff, you have to throw the questions of what and how. They, they can't sound sarcastic or interrogational. Oh, oh. My wife will tell you I'm going to struggle with that then. <laughs> I have too much sarcasm in my life. I know, right? Now you might say what happened or what made you uh, think, you know, with the, and right, here's a funny little right. thing. This is a nuance that I talk about when I do training with, with the leaders in particular is it's actually, you can get away with the sarcasm, but you got to take the tonality of sarcasm <laughs> out and you got to take your voice pitch up. So you could say, what, I'm just curious, what made you think? See how my voice went up? When you take your voice up, it, it lessens the interrogation and attack field. But if you just come at them and say, you know what? I was curious to know what made you think, oh, it is going to be on. <laughs> yeah, great, great. And I like I liked Brian's example where he said, so how did that go? Exactly. That's a, that's a great question that just really opens it up, opens yeah. the conversation. How did it go? Sure. Mm -hmm. it, it does, there's no implication there where, you know, the other, my sarcastic one clearly implied it didn't go well. But yeah, how did it go? It could have gone either way. Could have right. been, hey, it was great, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what I'll tell you, tell everyone on the uh, listening on this is, when you ask what and how questions, here's another little unique nuance about that. Come at it from as if you're asking that question, you want their opinion. 
See, people mm-hmm. are readily mm-hmm. and willing to give you their opinion. And when they feel safe enough to give you their opinion is where now you can uncover, because they're willing to be vulnerable, now as a leader, you can uncover the true barriers because most people won't tell you those initially. But if there's mm-hmm. enough trust built in there and you give them that ability to give an opinion, oh, now you open up the door mm-hmm. to all kinds of opportunity and unleashes their creativity. Again, this is stuff that most leadership training, they don't cover. No one talks about this. They just talk about, well, you need to you know, ask questions, spend time with people. Mm-hmm. This is where I, what makes me different. I get into those habits. We drill into that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you for another tip then. So I feel like in many cases, and maybe it's just because I'm in HR and, you know, I hate to say it as much as I try to fight it. And we all, I think everybody in HR tries to fight it. You still have that rep when you go out on the floor, uh oh, here comes HR, right? Somebody yeah. broke a rule or somebody did something wrong. So when you approach somebody, I feel like they're often going to be a bit defensive to start with. So when you ask that question, can you take the first answer at face value? I mean, can you take, well, because I just feel like it's going to be defensive or deflecting or accusatory. Well, if XYZ department had done what they were supposed to do, I wouldn't have this problem. Or if somebody had done their job. So you feel like it's more like an onion. You got to peel these layers back and keep asking the question, or can you run with that first answer? That is a fantastic question as well. And there's a couple of different ways to look at this. Number one, it all comes back to the relationship. So if there is a mm-hmm. non-existent relationship, if you're coming, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying you, but if HR, the only mm-hmm. time they see HR is mm-hmm. in a consequential, you know, it's like Pavlov's dog. I don't mm-hmm. get a treat, I get a whack. So if the only time mm-hmm. I see you, there's a whack coming, then that's going to create a net issue. So HR in particular, especially right mm-hmm. now, and by the way, HR professionals, you have an amazing, this is a, when change, massive change happens, this is your time because now you're at the front point of that. You're the spear of that, to use the analogy of military. You're the tip of the spear. You can transform mm-hmm. businesses and get out there and have a legitimate reason where pain is so intense that they need you. They're willing to listen because people don't change until the pain is great enough. Now you can come mm-hmm. in and, and build those relationships as opposed to when things are really good. They don't want to see you. They only want to see you to mm-hmm. deal with the problem children, right? Right. So, so now take advantage of this, but so there's ways to build relationships and and get in front of them. And that's where, you know, using social media type approaches, I've got the client that I'm working with this week, the VP of environmental health and safety. She wants to transform the culture of her organization of the, of the safety team. And one of the things that she's innovatively doing is she's using social media type posts on their intranet. She's using TikTok type funny videos and things like that to grab attention. Those are, you might say, well, do we need to do? Yeah, you got to think out of the box because the brain mm-hmm. only looks for novel. Mm-hmm. If you're doing the same old, same old, they're going to mm-hmm. look at you and say, no, I don't have time for this. You're just adding to my problems. So building that relationship is number one. Let me finish up that other part mm-hmm. of this too. The second yeah. part of that is, again, understanding, are you coming at it to add value? And, and here's where most people make the mistake, not just HR folks, but people in general. When they're working, wanting to collaborate with others, they've got to build the mindset that they're looking to not criticize, but to compliment. How can I add value? They keep in their operating system, keep asking that question, how can I add value? Or how is what I'm about to do going to help that employee perform better, faster, quicker, willingly better, faster, quicker, 
not compliantly, because out of compliance, that's not sustainable. Mm. You know, so when you start looking at it from the perspective mm. of I'm really going in it as a hypothesis, a value added approach, and with good intentions, even then it could still come across as being challenging. So now we've got to have that face time or or that opportunity to build that relationship. It takes time. You keep coming back to that. <laughs> it, it's all about time. Keep coming back to that. The time and that and I love what we said earlier too that you don't have an option. You right. Have you have to invest the time. You've right. got to do it on the front end. Yeah. So what you just spoke on sounds like some great. I don't want the theoretical is not right. You gave some practical application there, but specifically, what are some things HR leaders can do to help the rest of their leaders, particularly maybe frontline leaders, develop these habits, these good habits? So great question. And I'll, I'll give you a, a very quick, short story that I use with HR because it actually happened with an HR group. January 2020, I was working with a hospital chain and I had done some consulting work and worked with their frontline and mid-level managers in HR. And now I was coming to work with the senior VP of HR and she had all 27 of her direct reports in that meeting. So I started out and I introduced myself and immediately she said, Sardique, I have a question for you. And I said, okay, yeah, go ahead. And she said, have you ever worked in a hospital before? And I said, well, no, I, I have not worked in a hospital. And she looked right at me in front of all her direct reports. And she said, how in the heck, to use another H word, can I have any confidence that you know anything about our problems, our challenges, and the things that we're facing if you've never sat in our shoes? Mm -hmm. So please enlighten me. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> I wasn't expecting quite that level of yeah. question. Yeah. Now let's let's look at the yeah. question on on the face value as a consultant. That's a fair question. Sure, it's legit. It's legit. Sure. Yeah, but but the way she delivered it, and the way wow. she delivered it and modeled it in front of her her direct reports. Now, I, so I sat there for a second, just kind of thinking, how am I going to respond? And literally, <laughs> just popped in my head. I was like, well, you know what? Let me ask you all a question. And here's where I talk about the law of engagement, because mm -hmm. my law of engagement is engagement always begins by asking a question. So if you want to engage people, you begin mm -hmm. by asking a question, mm -hmm. what and how question. So I asked her, let me ask you all a question, all of you. How many people on an annual basis in the U.S. die because a hospital made a mistake? <laughs> now, everybody in the group is looking at me uncomfortable. Oh, right? you hit a nerve there. Yeah. And, oh, I hit a nerve. And, and, I, and, and there was resistance, right? Because you're going to get resistance. And, and I said, no, no, humor me because you all are, you're a hospital. Surely you know that statistic. I mean, that's something that's what y'all do. So mm -hmm. what do you think? Just throw out some numbers. They throw out 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, 70,000, 100,000, blah, blah, blah. Now, mind you, this was 2020, January 2020. And, and after they finished, I said, okay, so thank you for that. And in 2008, that number on average of people who died in a hospital due to a medical mistake was about 100,000. And in 2008, my father was one of them. Mm. And I did what I just did to you both, <laughs> paused. And I looked right at her. And this is a true story. I looked right at her and I said, so while I've never worked in a hospital, my goal at the end of this process is to hopefully make sure that you and your employees and the entire staff of all your hospitals never have to have the unenviable position of sitting in front of a somebody like a Sardique mm -hmm. who's going to ask you what the hell happened. Because you asked me, how in the hell do I? 
So I don't know, but I can tell you what happens when you all make a mistake mm. that transforms lives. Now, I caught her way off guard, just like she <laughs> caught me way off guard. And then I asked her the closing question, Brian, the get agreement question. Yeah. I said, may I continue? <laughs> and she said it would be our honor. Uh... Now, what I did there, and to answer your question, that's a, it's a, and I, I told that story with HR professionals, with Broward Health, when I did their keynote back in April, mm -hmm. I think it was this year. They didn't know that story, even the people who hired me. And I, mm -hmm. I walked out on stage, told that story. Hook, line, got them right there. <laughs> I got them. And I, so the key for HR professionals is, again, coming back to what is it that you're doing to add value? How can you help make the employee's experience better? Because Gallup has shown us in a recent study, in their study, they said 50% of the U.S. population is quiet quitting. I think it was uh, HRDQ has an article out that talked about the fact that the biggest challenges that organizations are anticipating facing is going to be employee experience, you know, the battle for engagement and retention. All of, this is all right in HR space and right with managers. We've got to make sure that our HR managers are out there moving the organization forward, coaching our managers, and holding them accountable because quiet quitting is a mm -hmm. symptom of a poor management problem. I'll stop there. Can you tell them passionate about this? Stuff? Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. <laughs> what a great story. So, Sardi, maybe talk about your new book a little bit and maybe just kind of tell us about it, the title, and just how it came about. Yeah, appreciate that. So the new book, it came out on October 25th. The title is Presentation Essentials, the tools you need to captivate your audience, deliver your story, and make your message memorable. And that book is part of uh, McGraw-Hill, was published by McGraw-Hill, as part of their new Business Essentials series that they just started. And my book, and this is co-authored with Ann Bruce, we kind of jokingly call ourselves a dynamic duo. It's the second <laughs> book we've written together. We wrote a book four years ago called Speak for a Living Second Edition. And that book is about how to build a speaking business and a training business if you're wanting to be an entrepreneur. This is kind of the other side of that, how to actually deliver presentations. And what McGraw-Hill recognized in the market for their target for this book is managers. And they found that presentation skills are woefully inadequate, particularly with the movement over into uh, virtual. And so if you've got bad presentation skills in person, those are only amplified, magnified, and, and glorified badly online. Mm. So who best to come and write that book would be Ann Bruce and Sardi Glove. So that's <laughs> what the book is all about. And part of, like I said, it's part of a launch of a three-book series. The other two books in the, the first launch of this series are uh, Coaching Essentials, and communication essentials mm. in our book, presentation essentials. So mm. the the book came about. Um, they Anne has written. She's a prolific writer. I think this is her twenty eighth book, best selling author. And wow. so she's written many books and has written many books for McGraw Hill. So when they were looking at the series, they knew that we had co authored Speak for a Living, and they thought with my background in terms of what I'm doing as a speaker a performance consultant trainer, and I teach this, I teach presentation skills extensively. They thought that I would be the perfect match for this book. So that's how it came about. And I spoke at the ATD, Association for Town Development. They had a core four, they called it their core four conference in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the book sold out at my, my author signing. It's <laughs> selling like hotcakes, as we mm -hmm. kind of anticipated it would. So it's gone really well. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. 
Well, I can tell you from personal experience and uh, certainly tell the audience that I know the first book was very effective. I have used some of the the tactics myself just in presentations that I've done with work and, and volunteer groups, but I gifted it to, at that time, a young lady that was working with me named Elizabeth Dillon, and she was on my training team, and she has really run with it. She has gone out on her own now. She is doing speaking and consulting and HR work and has a, a real great start on a consulting and coaching operation. But early on, I don't know if I was the only one to give her a book, but certainly it was one that I know helped get her started with Speak for a Living. Wow. Well, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. We love to hear yeah. those kind of stories. And, and when Ann watches or listens, in this case, to this podcast, I'm sure you know, she's her. If she were a doggy, her tail is going to be wagging <laughs> back and forth. We we absolutely love to hear that. And that's the kind of story. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, but yeah. Awesome. And the one, yeah, the one thing I would say about presentation essentials. You know, I'm a bit of a researcher. So one of the other things that I did was I went out and looked at all other books on presentation skills in the market, and you know, looked at some of my favorite authors and and, and leaders like Nancy Duarte and some of the other you know magnificent people out there. We did something. Specifically, McGraw-Hill challenges to do something very different with this book, make it different from every other book. The one thing that we did in this book that you can't find in another presentation skills book is, let me let me ask both of you, think of, have you seen Austin Powers, any of those movies? Oh, yeah. I'm oh, guessing, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? And then maybe, I'm guessing one of you, maybe both of you have seen a James Bond movie at some point in time, mm-hmm. right? Oh. Yeah. So there's famous one-liners in both of those movies. So one in Austin Powers is, yeah, baby, yeah. Right? <laughs> right, right. And James Bond has that, the way he introduces himself, that is the most famous one-liner in movie history. My name mm. is Bond, James Bond. What mm. most people don't realize is that both of those one-liners, yeah, baby, yeah, and my name is Bond, James Bond, is a formula. Mm. In fact... It's the formula is ABA. You say something A, say something else B, and say what you said the first time A. My name is Bond, James mm. Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baby, yeah. Burn, baby, burn. Mm. You start to see rep- repetition here. Mm-hmm. What we did in this book is we shared several formulas for how to say things to make your message unforgettable. Oh, in those clever. One-liners, the one-liners. Clever. Catchphrases mm. and one-liners, and so that chapter eight is is the one chapter that's getting a lot of buzz right now, um, mm. and and some of the you know one of the other formulas that's in there that I wrote as a for my leadership for leading with impact inside of Drive, the priority principle when it comes to questions. If you want to create priorities through questions, the priority principle says questions create priorities, priorities create action, action creates results. That sounds phenomenal, and it is. Just use the formula to create the priority principle. That's what's in this book, how to do that. Nice. Oh, cool. Awesome. So, Sardik, maybe can you talk about how, how you got into your current role? How did you, maybe, how did your career get started? Maybe talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, the short answer of how I got to where I am today mm-hmm. is I got fired. Oh, man, it was... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, F word, yes. <laughs> My second favorite F word, fire. Uh, first favorite is funnel cake. 
But uh, <laughs> you know, seriously, I, I love funnel cake. It's, it's a, you don't it's look good for the yeah. audience. It's just listening. He looks you like he's in pretty good shape. So. Yeah. Well, you only see in the top half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in all seriousness, this is true. So uh, in 2006, December 8, 2006, I was working for an organization consulting firm. I love the consulting firm to this day. I don't mind saying it. It was Booz Allen Hamilton. Loved working there. I just had the wrong fit for a boss. I wasn't the right fit for him. We didn't mesh very well at all. Mm. And so he did me a favor and he fired me. Now, as traumatic and challenging as that was for me, one of the things that I was there to do is, as a, I was a program manager at Booz Allen was to learn how to, I was, I was responsible for vendor relationship, basically hiring and contracting with organizations that helped, that we brought in to help grow consulting skills inside of Booz Allen. And so I learned that in the 13 months that I was there. So immediately within 15 minutes of me getting fired, not by purpose, not on purpose, I called a buddy of mine and just said, hey, his name is Rick Hicks. He was the VP of operations for an oil and gas contractor. And I just told him, I said, hey, man, I, I didn't see this coming. I, I just got fired. And Rick said to me, he's like, dude, this is your lucky day. Mm -hmm. And I'm driving down the Dulles Toll Road, aimlessly not sure where I'm going at this point. And uh, I just told him, I was like, Rick, I'm not in the mood, you know, uh, for jokes or anything. I mean, I, I only have one month's average and, and, and shoot, I don't know what I'm going to do <laughs> just yet. And he said, dude, it's your lucky day. And finally, I pulled over and I said, what are you talking about? He said, Sardi, we just won a large contract with Chevron. We do technical training in oil and gas. None of my trainers have leadership training. And we just landed, won this huge contract for leadership training. So I will hire you right now, full-time, part-time contract. You tell me what you want, and you're going to lead that project. So what do you wow. want? And I said, uh, can I just do contract till I figure it out? He said, you do whatever you want. And so that was December. In February, I was on my first trip to Angola on Chevron's corporate jet. And that began everything. So, you know, I I took that opportunity. and and And... I love Booz Allen. In fact, here just four years ago, guess who they had come back in to work with Booz Allen. <laughs> wow. So, um, but you know, so it's been a challenge at different points in time in my career, but each time it's happened where I've over, I've, I'm a, my mom just drilled into me, no matter what you keep going. And yeah. so prior to Booz Allen, I was at MetLife insurance. I ran the underwriting operations for them. And prior to that, I was in the underwriting function at what's now Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, but it was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I got my start out of Virginia Tech as an underwriter, a very technical job. Mm -hmm. and, and to close out, I was really good at the technical stuff, but I kept doing that whole like looking over here, I get my work done and then I go like start joking around with the other underwriters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know, either of you know anything about underwriters and insurance, mm -hmm. their heads down, earphones on type, leave me alone. And here I come like the, you know, uh, <laughs> Jack Russell Terrier running around. And my boss was like, dude, you get your work done, you're great, but you, you're disrupting the others. So we got we to gotta give you an energy outlet. So he forced me to start doing this thing called training. And it was because of him that I started realizing I'm into this training thing. Then when I started working with leaders, I started realizing leaders do some kind of crazy stuff. And I'm curious as to know why. Hmm. And so bring all that together. And here I am. Hmm. Awesome. Great story. Well, it, it he may have told you it was your lucky day, but you know there really is no such thing as luck. And what I love, John Maxwell talks about that luck is really just 
where preparation meets opportunity. And clearly you had been prepared for that. And, and it was, uh, you were the right guy for that fit. And then the opportunity, like you say, start out as a firing, but he did you a favor because freed you up to move on to that next thing. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. Absolutely. That's and, awesome. And, you know, I won't say his name, but I'll just say his first name, Vince. Vince, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you did me a huge favor. You helped me uh, unleash my own brilliance that I didn't even believe I had. So I, I I thank that guy every time. I've seen him at conferences at different times. I think he's a little, uh, he, he goes away from me because I think he thinks I might want to have a few words with him. I would love sure. to give him a hug and just say, sure. dude, yeah. thank you. You really did. You you did what a manager should do. If it's not the right fit, help mm -hmm. that person find success elsewhere. So mm -hmm. he did me a favor. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Where else can people get resources that you've put together? Well, you can reach me if you're a training professional, HR, if you do presentations. One of the things that I do is I have a weekly video blog series on how to facilitate, and that is called Ask a Master Facilitator. And literally, mm -hmm. that's the website, www.askamasterfacilitator.com. And each week, I take questions from training professionals, HR folks, whomever, mm -hmm. and we record an answer to that question and put that out there. So that's been going on probably about the same time that you all have been doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I'm up to uh, this. I started that in July of 2020. Mm -hmm. So that's one place to get stuff for free from me. And another place, obviously, is my website, sardiquelove.com. And, and, and spell out Sardique. Yeah, thank you for that, because yeah. it is a little weird. Um, <laughs> Sardique is spelled S-A-R-D as in David, E-K, Sardique, love, mm -hmm. L-O-V-E, like I love you, dot com. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, and so that's another place that people can get information from me. And then, of course, the book, uh, Presentation Essentials, which just got released, Speak for a Living. And then uh, other places you can reach me. I'm speaking at conferences. In fact, I'm always speaking at the Association for Talent Development conferences, their international conference mm -hmm. uh, annually in May, and then other conferences for them. The Training Magazine, I always speak at their annual conference. That's coming up in February every year, mm -hmm. and I'll be doing a certificate program for them. And then a lot of private keynotes and things like that. So there's lots of places to find me. Oh, and lastly, mm -hmm. Facebook or I'm, I haven't been as active on Instagram and Twitter, but Facebook and LinkedIn for mm -hmm. sure, particularly mm -hmm. LinkedIn. And I know, Jeff, that's how you and I connected. So yep. LinkedIn is, yeah. is very active for me. And on my personal Facebook page, I, I do quotes. I, I have fun. So you get to see the fun side of, of Sardique and it's always clean and, and uh, all that good stuff. Well, as you've worked with HR professionals around the world, really, in all these countries you visited, what would you say are some of the, the misconceptions you've come across that other people outside of the profession have of those of us in it? Great question. I think the big misperception that's completely unfair that continues to permeate is that most people think of HR as administration, you know, mm -hmm. benefits, policies, procedures, and that. And surely it's that. But HR is so, so much more than that, well beyond that, and, and usually doesn't get the credit. But that that's the big thing that I think is the challenge. And in fact, I would also say that a lot of HR professionals have that mindset as well. They they per they actually reinforce the mindset to say, well, my, my value add is just in making sure these people's benefits are administered correctly, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, think much more about the employee experience and, and that whole employee life cycle. When you change your mindset that way, I think it train, changes the, the value perception of HR. Mm. So true. 
Sardiko, what is the most recent HR or business related book or even podcast you would recommend to someone else? You know, the podcast, so I'm, I'm big into podcasts and, and I love this one as well. The, the one that I really enjoy is Ed Milet. And I, mm. I don't know if some of you are familiar with Ed Milet. I know Ed Milet is all over the place a little bit in terms of what he talks about. But if a practitioner in the business world would listen to him, you would get some huge nuggets from him on the business side of things. Um, Craig Rochelle is another podcast that he he's a pastor, but he does a lot of leadership related topics in his podcast. And and then, you know, from a, you know, of course, I'll throw out presentation essentials. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Sure. I'm just saying. Right. (laughs) Let me look at my book bookcase. Another book, here's a book that I found very interesting that would be helpful for leaders, for HR professionals in particular, and it's by Vanessa Van Edwards. It's called Cues, and it's how to read body language, and, and that's another angle that a lot of folks don't really know how to do, but if you can pick up on that, you'll start to be able to influence people, and with HR, one of the things that I've found with them is they they really do sometimes can grow in their ability to be more influential and persuasive. So Q's, C-U-E-S by Vanessa Van Edwards is another interesting book that I think people might find potentially useful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, one of the things we've asked all of our guests here at the end is to give us two words that start with the letters H and R. Now we know that historically those have always been a reference for human resources. But we want two different words other than human resources that the letters H and R could stand for, yet still have the same connotation. So this is a, you know, I struggle with trying to come up with a different word for (laughs) for the H. Because what popped in my head immediately was humane, or not just humane, but human rejuvenation. I I know that's still leaving one word in place, but I I love the rejuvenation part of that. And so I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna violate okay. the protocol a little bit and just say human that's all right. rejuvenation <laughs> because that's what I see HR as is is an opportunity to continuously rejuvenate the workforce, help managers not only attract but retain their workforce so that you can actually dominate your marketplace. Wow. All right. Excellent. Well, you know, I like I like humane too, though. Right. Yeah. Because because if you just think rejuvenation without the humanity part of it, the humane part, I feel like the old expression, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Well, and, and are we seeing that right now? Let's let's talk real world currents. We're, we're seeing that right now with Twitter. Right. With, sure. with yeah. you know, one could argue Elon, Elon Musk coming in there and just firing 50 percent of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Granted, that may from a business perspective might be the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but it sure ain't humane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you wonder how many Sardique love stories there'll be later when somebody says, "I'm so thankful to Elon yeah. Musk for firing me." <laughs> there'll be some. There'll, there'll be, be some for but, sure. There will be some. He right, you, just by nature, but sure. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, wow. awesome. Well, Sardique, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Certainly awesome. appreciate to you uh, you being on the program mm-hmm. and. And I'd like to thank everyone who listened or watched our discussion today, and we hope that you'll be back again. If you have any suggested topics or guests for future episodes, or you'd like to be a guest yourself, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at inspiredinsights at truepay.com.